This is Adam Hill, minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ. Today is a great day to study the Bible. As you listen to today's message, I pray that you're blessed as we study God's Word together. I want to take a few minutes to share with you briefly from John chapter 21. Some, a message from John that I think will connect here to this trip, to, to what I've learned, to what I've seen, to what God is, is doing in me. In chapter 21 of John, verses 1 through 3, it says, Afterward, now this is a big afterward, um, because the thing that just happened in chapter 20 is called the resurrection. So after the resurrection, that's, 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 that's a big happening. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. They went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. It's interesting that the, the way the Bible says it, they, that he says, I'm going out to fish. I'm not sure he's going out to fish. They get out in the boat. It says they go out, they get in the boat, and they catch nothing. It doesn't quite say they fished. Right here they've lost Jesus and, 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 and they're struggling to cope with what that means and, and they go back to the thing that they did before Jesus. They go back to a boat. They go back to sitting on a lake. They go back to the lap of the water. When it says Jesus appeared again to his disciples, that's an interesting word. It actually is the Greek word apocalypsis or apocalypse, from which we get the name of the book Revelation, because it means to reveal. It doesn't just mean Jesus appeared, it means Jesus revealed himself to them. That it has less to do with our seeing and more to do with God's revealing. And the truth is, there's a, <laughs> there's a post-Easter letdown for a lot of people. You know, the week after Easter is the most common vacation week for pastors. Not us. Huh? Huh? <laughs> That's right. No, I'm just... I, I appreciate your zeal, and I kind of baited you into that, but I'm totally messing around. Um, but it is, it is, it is the, the most common, you take a week off. Because Holy Week has been so busy, and it's been so demanding. And, and, and I want to say thank you to the folks who served us. Okay, Kenny and Dan, uh, y'all led us in some amazing uh, events. So I want to thank you. And I want to thank April and Betty and Sarah and Karen who worked very hard. And Jody, Jody, uh, Jody Onspa, who worked very hard to make sure that this place and these events worked, that it looked wonderful. The whole backdrop, the whole everything, it was amazing. And I want to thank them for all of their work. 
But after Easter, the stage goes back to normal. Services kind of return to normal. Life goes back to normal. And I wonder if the disciples felt that too. That they had just seen and experienced the reappearing of Jesus resurrected from the grave, having defeated sin and death forever, but they've beheld Christ victorious over all. And what do they do? They go fishing. They go right back to life the way it was before they ever met Jesus. William Willimon says, it's, it turns out that it's pretty good that these folks who have been no good at being disciples aren't any good at fishing either. <laughs> They've been out there all night. I wonder if God is up to something though, and they couldn't have caught fish no matter how hard they tried. Because in verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, first word Jesus says to them following his crucifixion and resurrection, as he calls them as friends. They scattered and ran when he was arrested. Friends. Do you have any fish? No, they answered. He said, why don't you throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off. He jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish. They can't even get it into the boat. They're just towing it at this point. For they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with some fish already on it. Jesus, that's not fair. <laughs> and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, about 153 of them. I don't know who counted. Uh, but even with... <laughs> Thanks, Thaddeus. Um, <clears throat> who knows? Uh, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So Jesus does the whole fish on the other side of the boat thing, and Peter takes a swim. You wonder why Peter jumps out of the boat. The rest of them are going that direction. Maybe, um, maybe he's a little more desperate than the others. He says, I want you to, I want you to share breakfast with me. I, he invites them to his table. He is hospitable. And this is amazing that Jesus goes back to the same guys who let him down before. There's something incredibly affirming about that. But don't let it be missed. This is life after resurrection. Turns out this thing isn't ending. It's just beginning. William Willimon said, oh, we can kill God, but we can't keep this love buried. We can't stop the relentless determination of God not to be God without us. 
Richard Niebuhr has said, conversion is when you find out that the God you thought was your enemy is actually your long-lost friend. So when they had finished eating, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, okay, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times Jesus asks Peter if Peter loves him. He even asks Peter if he loves him more than the other disciples love him. But wait, that's not how it's supposed to work. Jesus is supposed to love us. We stumble, we fall, we fail, we blow it, and he's supposed to love us. God is supposed to assure us of his love for us, not the other way around, right? After all, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but shall have everlasting life. And God's love for us makes possible our love for one another and our love for the world. So the world may say about Christians, see how they love one another. Or even more, sure, they believe some odd things, but overall they make pretty good neighbors. And we help the destitute and the hurting and the unlovable, all because that's how it works. God first loves us, so we love everyone. There's some truth to that. So maybe we say to ourselves, this is just something that Jesus asks of Peter. After all, they've had a rocky relationship of late, given the three denials and all. And so this is just... Fair play. Three do you love me's for three denials. But the more time we sit in this text, the more we realize these, these questions, these three questions, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, are not just for Peter. Jesus truthfully reveals to us how much God loves us. But a question that Christ has for every disciple is, do you love me? And when you stare that question in the eyes, how do you even answer a question like that without sounding trite? Truth be told, I think I'm more likely to believe in Jesus than I am to love him. We don't, know, we don't know how to answer because for Jesus to ask us this question seems to make him like us. Of all things, a human being who wants to be loved. But what if Jesus doesn't just want our belief? What if Jesus also wants our love too? That, that deep down what Jesus doesn't really want for us is simply to be religious. He wants us to be head over heels in love with him. 
there's this interesting letter that Jesus writes to a church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation where he says to them, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. That's Jesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked people and that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and you have not grown weary. Oh boy, that is high praise and good to be known for. They have everything doctrinally correct. They are zealous for religion. But notice to what he says in verse 4, I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. They've lost their first love. They've lost the affection they had at the beginning. It's been said by one of the most important theologians of the 20th century, Karl Barth. This is a hard quote to read. Christians go to church to make their last stand against the living God. That this is where we go to make sure that God operates predictably. That God operates within the right decorum and the way that we expect. And the question is, can we fall so in love with the religion that we forget to love Jesus? And that maybe we try to use religion as a means of controlling God, of making God do our will. That God becomes a tool to help me accomplish my ends. I told you why I said yes to going to Uganda. However, I haven't told you why I think God called me to go to Uganda. I think God was reminding me of my first love. I think I said yes to go and teach, and in the process, God was teaching me. I think he wanted me to see and experience the simplicity of the gospel and to be reminded that it's enough. So church, (laughs) I've been preaching here Wow. About 13 years. And I don't know how much longer I'll preach here. Maybe another 13. We'll see. But I'll tell you this. I don't want to train you to be good at religion. I want you to fall in love with Jesus. And I'm well aware of what I'm asking. And I know it's scary because falling in love is scary. Falling in love involves losing control. Being in love, (laughs) 
has the undesired effect of helping us make one disastrous decision after another. <laughs> <laughs> but I want you to face the question do you love me you may not realize it but this passage this John 21 passage is a call to ministry you say what does my love for Jesus have to do with ministry I'd say ask Jesus every time he asks Peter the question do you love me he follows it up with so go take care of my sheep if you love me, go do ministry. And you don't have to work for a church to do ministry. Young people, every single one of you is a minister of the gospel. You don't have to wait till you're grown up. Please don't. The world needs you right now. Okay, you, you are all ministers. He asks you, do you love me? And when you say, yes, you know I love you, he's going to say, then... Do something about it. Jesus asks him if we love him not only for his own sake, but also for the sake of his other sheep. Notice they're his sheep, not my sheep, not your sheep. To be in love with Jesus is to become so convinced of and overwhelmed by and captivated by and emboldened by and anchored by and guided by his life that you no longer have to choose between the love of yourself, the love of others, and the love of God. The love is not simply a collection of feelings. Love is not Peter being asked to try harder to love Jesus. Jesus is asking Peter to see and recognize that love has already taken over his life. And then to bear witness to it faithfully. I say over and over again that I am loved and I am chosen and so are you. Can you go ahead and come up? Today church, he asks us. The risen Lord asks us, do you love me? Are you captivated by me? Are you passionate about me? How will you answer today? If you need to respond to the gospel that you are loved and chosen and that in Christ God has done for you what you could never do for yourself with all the trying in the world. If you want to give your life to Christ in baptism, then we want to help you do that. The question is there, do you love me? How will you answer? Let's stand and praise. Thank you for listening to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Our hope is that it was a blessing to you. If you would like someone to study with or pray with, do not hesitate to reach out to us through our website, rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and you are chosen.